for our communion meditation this morning, I want to deal with the first of six parallel thoughts uh, that emerge from the chiasm. And unfortunately, I forgot to have Gary uh, put the chiasm into the outline uh, uh, a second time. But very briefly, a chiasm is one of several different kinds of structure in Hebrew poetry where the first thought in a paragraph, or in this case in the entire psalm, and the last thought in the psalm are parallel, then the second thought and the second to last thought, and it works forward to the middle of the uh, psalm, which is the theme. That's the, the heart and center of the psalm. And the second set of parallel thoughts fills out and amplifies the meaning or the theology of the first set. And I'll just give you an illustration, very, very tiny, of how that, uh, how that works out. If you take a look at Psalm 23, you'll notice in the first half of the psalm, it uses uh, references to God in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. But when we get to the heart of the psalm, verse 4, where God's presence completely removes fear from David's life, that presence of God is so vivid that he's no longer thinking about other people, and he switches to the second tense. He's talking to God now. He says, for you are with me, your rod, your staff, you prepare a table before me, you anoint my head with oil. In other words, the point is that you can no longer just have a theoretical or an academic uh, a view of God after you have encountered God's presence with you. Uh, it, it's impossible to, to retain that. And um, there are other ways in which the second set fills out the meaning of the first set. So we're going to take a look at uh, the last phrase of verse 4. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Now that's in parallel with the last part of verse uh, 3 where he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now when you look at that it may not at first immediately be obvious like some of the other parallels are that it is a parallel but what he's doing here is it's showing how God leads us in the paths of righteousness. It's with his rod and with his staff. Now the rod was used to chase off uh, wild animals as well as to discipline the sheep and it was the symbol of rule and of governing. And the staff, uh, the, staff uh, the second instrument, had a crook in the end, and it could be used to guide, it could be used to hold back a sheep, you know, by the neck or by a leg when it's going somewhere it's not supposed to be going, or to tug a sheep toward you. Um, it could be used to rescue a sheep that fallen into a pit or something like that. A very versatile tool, and it was the symbol of shepherding. Now, when sheep were being taken from one pasture to the next, uh, the shepherd would know which particular sheep tended to lead other sheep uh, astray, and he would just gently uh, touch on that sheep with his uh, stick and keep it on the straight way, because otherwise it could lead all kinds of sheep from the, uh, from the flock uh, astray. Uh, you could get one complainer, and before you know it, there's all kinds of sheep that are going off there, even though there's no grass there whatsoever. You don't need a reason. They just do that, right? And um, Ezekiel describes one sheep butting another sheep. And when that happened, the crook could be used to hold that sheep back. And if it's still not paying attention while he's holding that sheep with the crook, 
He can whack the sheep, discipline the sheep with the rod, okay? So those are the two purposes, rod and staff. And when you look at all of the different uh, things that are involved in that, you see that, that uh, this is the, what keeps them on the paths of righteousness is that God's discipline, restraint, guidance, and protection. Those four. His discipline, restraint, guidance, and protection. But this assumes, point two, that sheep don't automatically all line up like an army and do whatever the shepherd wants them uh, to do without intervention. In fact, it would be the rather odd flock that did not have some disorder occasionally. Um, and, and so it is with the church. We should not be surprised when sheep start butting each other and pestering each other. They need a shepherd. We should not be surprised when sheep wander off the path of righteousness. They need a shepherd. We shouldn't even be surprised when uh, sheep occasionally need discipline and need rescuing completely from the world because God has made people to need a shepherd. And with shepherding by elders becoming out of vogue in the massive house church movement, as well as in the megachurch movement, it is no surprise whatsoever to me that there are all kinds of sheep that have wandered off the paths of righteousness. I think there's a reason why the Bible gave the ideal, obviously there could be flexibility there, but gave the ideal of ten families for each elder. Because when you get a hundred families under an elder, there's just no way uh, that they can possibly adequately shepherd uh, a church. And statistics show that neither the rod nor the staff are being used in some churches. For example, uh, statistics seem to indicate that the vast majority of churches have never exercised discipline even once in the, the, the whole history of the church. And so the rod is completely missing. And Ezekiel prophesied that this would happen when he's dealing with shepherds as an analogy for elders. Uh, he prophesied that these shepherds would refuse to see themselves as under-shepherds with the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, calling all of the shots. They, they, they don't see themselves as under, you know, subject to the regulative principle of government. They don't want to see their shepherding limited by God's will and what Christ has uh, told them. And so it becomes a vicious cycle because they're not using his rod and staff, they're using their own. And when that happens, the sheep sometimes bail because uh, they're not getting the shepherding that Christ would want them to have. And I'm not going to deal with all of the implications, but let me just highlight one. According to Hebrews 12, where there is no discipline, there is no love, at least not biblically defined love. And however uncomfortable discipline may be, Hebrews tells us that it produces the peaceable fruits of righteousness, and that's the third point. First point was... How does God lead us on the paths of righteousness? It's with a rod and staff. Second point is, why does he lead us? Why does he need a rod and staff? It's because we tend to wander. And the third point is, what are the results of that rod and staff that he leads us with? And uh, it indicates in verse 4 that it's, uh, there's really peaceable fruits that come from this rod and staff. Uh, they comforted David. Now, we can understand why the rod would bring comfort uh, when it's being used to ward off dangerous animals. 
dogs or wild animals or something like that. And there is a protection from satanic attack when people are willing to put themselves under the protective canopy of the covenant into church covenant membership. There is a protection from satanic attack. So that's pretty obvious. But here's the question. Why is David find comfort from both rod and staff in terms of discipline? Why would that be the case? Because it is both rod and staff that bring comfort, right? Well, there's a number of ways, but the chief one I want to talk about is in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You want to know if you're loved by God? Well, just see if his rod and staff is at work in your life. And scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. In other words, if you're willing to submit yourself to his rod and staff, then he's dealing with you like his own children. He goes on. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. That's a scary thought. There is no comfort of sonship where there is no discipline. He goes on, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we pay them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And that, that verse from Hebrews, that last verse, ties together the threads that we have been looking at. Uh, it shows how it's God's restraint and discipline that produces peace. God's restraint and discipline that produces righteousness. It trains us in the habits of staying on the paths of righteousness. It comforts us. Uh, just as insecurity creeps into the heart of a child who is undisciplined and security undergirds a child that knows that his dad cares about him enough to protect him and, and restrain him and discipline him and guide him, so we too gain a sense of security in knowing that God loves us enough to put us into a flock and to protect us and restrain us and discipline us and guide us as well. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let us submit our hearts gladly to God's rod and staff and to the under-shepherds that God has put over you, to his elders. Uh, let us find comfort that he loves us enough to correct us, and let's ask him to help us to stay in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Father God, we are so grateful for your discipline that you do not allow us to destroy our lives by indefinitely allowing us to stay in rebellion, indefinitely allowing us to uh, follow uh, our own desires or instincts which are not always good. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to uh, care for us, shepherd us, discipline us, guide us, protect us from the enemy, and that as we covenant with you this morning, uh, we do submit our hearts, our lives, uh, to your shepherding care, to your rod and to your staff. We glory in that rod and that staff, and uh, we uh, thank you for it. Do set aside these common elements to a holy use, and may you be glorified in our partaking. In Christ's name, amen.